Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. Hello. 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 So good evening. Good evening. The practice of Zazen, the practice that we do, returning again and again to right now, to realize that Tathagata's true teaching, Tathagata means things just as they are. To me, the only way to really do that is by coming into our hara. Very often we spend so much time thinking, privileging our brain. And as this, you know, we're in the day 12 of our commit to sit and to really consider how can you allow yourself to have an expansive practice? How can you allow yourself to widen out? Or as Uchiyama says, to live by vow and root it deeply. Today, the teaching that we looked at was, so here I am, having lived for over 80 years. And the thread that runs all, through all my life is my pursuit of living out the most refined way of life. In Buddhism, this is referred to as the ultimate refuge. This is a man who dedicated his entire life to continuous practice. He struggled with TB most of his life, so it was never easy. And very often we talk to each other or share with each other like, wow, the practice is hard. Imagine having TB on top of it. What's already hard? So to me, it's like so inspiring to consider how do we go beyond just our view and really think about what is the thread that runs through our life. What is the most important thing? And how do we allow our thoughts, words, and actions to meet that? Very often, our thoughts, words, and actions do not at all meet our core values. How strange. 
people often tell me that, well, I'll start practicing more intensely later. Or during this 90-day period. So today, and the question was for us, can you hear the truck? <laughs> What do you take refuge in? What do you actually live in refuge in? One of our Sangha members who can't be here but is practicing with us, Christy said that she was moved by waking up to beauty, wonder, and love. And yet forgetting all the time and falling into delusion. It was so honest. Right? We wake up to, wow, wow. And then we fall back into, uh, our habits, our lack of intimacy with actually what's happening, with the people that we care about, with the people who populate our life. Yesterday, in between morning practice and our precept study group, I found myself we had a, just a little time, so I ran to get some lunch. And uh, there was a homeless man, sitting, a man who is homeless, sitting outside of the place I was getting lunch. And he said, do you have any change? And I looked at him, and I was in a rush. And I thought, no. I said, no. And I caught it in that moment. And I also, what caught it was because it was cold yesterday. And, and inside my coat pocket, I was holding change. I shared this with the group yesterday. And I stopped and I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. And he was like, whoa. <laughs> I said, I just lied to you. I do have change. And here you go. He was like, wow. And again, I'm not really advocating for then you, what you were supposed to do. But to me, the beauty of practice and really being in our body and really feeling the coins. For me, really, and allowing ourselves to drop out of our thoughts of busy. One of the most popular words these days, busy. So what do we take refuge in, to me, is I often try to measure that 
to actually what's happening. Instead of some romantic idea of like, oh, when I get back here and start teaching or learning or whatever. To me, the beauty of practice is to, without any shame or blame, just to say like, wow, we go up in our heads and we are out of relationship. And I was out of relationship with my basic values in that moment. And the beautiful thing is, in that moment, you can just begin again. Come back to your ahara. Ah, I'm here again. Hello. Don't be lost in thought. <coughs> There's a wonderful story of a Zen teacher who used to say to himself all the time, Are you awake? Yes, I am. Are you practicing? Yes, I am. And he would do that all the time, even in front of other people. <laughs> and I found it so interesting to have that courageousness to do that in front of other people, because we think very often that we may appear awake. We may appear like we're listening, but actually not at all. We're off in a dream, off in an idea. And to me, the beauty is you can just begin again. Ah, there I will. And here I am. To me, the question is, how do we allow our meditation practice to teach us to be the thread itself? And I'm not speaking about a meditation practice that is just on the cushion. The Zazen that Dogen, our, the founder of our lineage, talked about is not just on the cushion. It's the mind of Zazen that can permeate everything. No problem. So how do we allow our meditation practice really to be this thread? How do we allow our zazen to be the quality of mind that we bring when we find ourselves lost? We find ourselves scared. In despair. Joyful. How do we meet whatever is happening with a mind of zazen just saying, oh, this sadness this joy, this bloodthirsty feeling? How do we meet those feelings or whatever, whatever is arising with a freshness? How do we allow ourselves to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha? first three precepts. Buddha being the person who wakes up 
the Dharma being receptivity. And the Sangha, this one is pretty good. Good enough. Many people are looking for the perfect Sangha where they'll feel comfortable all the time. Which doesn't exist. To me it's just finding a good enough one. Because every place is funky and a little strange. (laughs) Mostly because our minds are funky and a little strange. So how would a place or a group of people be any different? And to me, the challenge is to allow ourselves to take refuge in our funkiness, our oddness, our weirdness, and just to be undefended. To me, that's part of taking refuge in the Dharma, to allow yourself to be ungilded, not have to dress it up, to be in your grief, or whatever it is. Mizumi Roshi says, taking refuge in the three treasures is also intimacy. He says, I am not talking about anything special. Be one with the Buddha. Be one with the Dharma. And be one with the Sangha. I love that he's talking about the intimacy of that, the intimacy of the Tathagata, just things as they are. And as my teacher always is saying, it just takes a lifetime. And there is no arrival. She's deeply wise and very fun. She's truly herself. At ninety one. So, how do we allow ourselves to be one with our own awakened mind and the awakened mind of others? I find that it's so easy to just kind of hide away. Because sometimes being awake to things as they are is deeply uncomfortable. Sometimes we see things about ourselves that we do not like. And what I say lately to that is, so what? We tend to make things into such big deals. But mostly we're just like living in a teeny tiny world. In the life of our brain, a five pound mushy thing. 
And when I'm in my brain, I usually am like looking through a little tube. And this is what I think life is. My opinions, my thoughts. And to me, the beauty of actually being in your body only can happen when you drop into your hara and widen out. For me, that's definitely the only way it happens is dropping down and widening out. And the willingness to do that to me is part of taking refuge in the Dharma. Can I just allow whatever this moment has to bring to teach me? Even if it's awful. And as Maizumi is saying that it's nothing special because everyone experiences it. And we come from a lineage of teaching that has been carried down by people dedicated to these teachings for over 85 generations. And they all experience similar things. And to me, when I can really root into my body I can be more connected to the world and to that reality of throughout space and time, people have experienced this. It's almost like I can smell it. Wow, this is nothing new. People have felt air on their skin for a really long time. And I can experience my experience of it today. But probably 20,000 years ago, people were taking a moment and experiencing the air on their skin, feeling sad, feeling outside, feeling inside. feeling unappreciated, feeling scared. So that's, to me, one of the beautiful parts about this nothing special in Zen. Our experience is totally unique and completely not. completely the most unique moment ever and completely not. I remember the first time I washed a body of someone who had just died. And I realized that I'd never taken a class But I found myself just really rooting down 
and just looking at this person's body. And I thought to myself, people have been doing this for so long. Taking care of other people when they can't do it. And I just thought, root down and widen out and to take care of this person's body was so, such a privilege and so easy because I felt supported by all the other grieving people for generations and generations. So I could weep. And cleaner with respect and dignity. But to me, the only way we can do that is by really taking refuge in Sangha, in the vast interconnected web that we could never possibly understand. Who knows why we're all here? What's your thread? And how do you nourish your thread? It's not enough to know what your values are. But how do you actually participate and step up into them, embody them? It's so challenging. I find it incredibly challenging. And to me, that's the only way I can maintain my vows is through Sangha, taking refuge in Sangha. Because I need each of you to remember again and again and again. In my senses, we all do. We all need other people because we actually, we're animals. In fact, we're pack animals. And we don't do well alone. In fact, alone, you will die an early death. Thus says the World Health Organization about the pandemic of social isolation. When the Buddha was doing lots of different practices for a long time, he was very interested in engaging all these different practices to try to actually just show up. And he was in one period where he was doing these very ascetic practices where he became very skinny and you could see his spine through the front of him and there are many strange descriptions of that. A little extreme, perhaps. 
but there are many paths. And it's said that he was sitting under the tree and not eating and trying that practice. When this woman named Sujata came and she was made this very special rice porridge to make an offering to a god. But she saw this very hungry person looking very hungry. Imagine, you can see his spine through the front. <coughs> and so she offered him this thick rice milk instead of giving it to a god. I always love that part of the story. There are many stories about her making this rice milk, which took her a very long time to make. And she put it in a golden bowl, and it was this very special thing. But then she saw someone who was hungry. So it's such amazing to me, that pivot and that willingness to pivot into what is needed right now, tatagata, what things as they are. How do I practice with things as they are, instead of my idea of things, instead of some rule? And the Buddha accepted what was given, even though he had rules at that moment about not eating. But receiving what is offered, I just love all the like rigidity that is required to soften in this story. So anywhere where there's tightness in our heart, how do we soften it? One of my favorite translations of suffering itself is in the Chinese, they translate it as walls in the mind. Like, I can't hear that enough. We have to, the cause of suffering is how we create walls in our mind. What is right, what is wrong, what we like, what we don't like. I was joking with someone yesterday and saying like, well, I've actually never really understood the creation of vanilla ice cream. What's the point? <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> but I was thinking about how at a certain time in my life I actually really was so rigid. I was one of those vegan people. Um, you know, there's beautiful things about vegan people, but I was one of the <laughs> I was one of those vegan people that would like clobber you over the head about all the awful things that you were doing. I was deeply unkind to other people in service of my rules. 
but basically I was a complete jerk. Mm -hmm. Like one of those people that were like, oh no, you know, like, there he goes again. How do we soften? So when the Buddha finished eating this delicious rice milk, and he took this golden bowl and threw it in the river. Such a curious moment, her special bowl. Thanks. <laughs> as a teaching. And he said that if this bowl goes upstream, I will wake up. If not, let it just go downstream. And of course, as the story goes that the bull moved into the middle of the river and went upstream. This practice is so challenging because it is exactly like that golden bull going upstream that is against the stream, it's against our conditioned nature. For tens of thousands of years, people have been incredibly violent and destructive and continue to. A long time. So to me, one of the ways I understand this against the stream is, is that we have to really work with our genetics, not even our personal story, but the habit that we've inherited for millennia of eating whatever we want, bonking people over the head because we want what we want. This has been going on for so long. But learning to stop, to slow down. Mm. Widening out, seeing what's actually helpful, what's actually loving, and waking up to what else is possible. How can we engage our freshness and not be good at it? As Maizumi says that taking refuge in the three treasures is intimacy. So to me, that slowing down, is it that intimacy? 
it's so rare. To me is why I'm so moved and so grateful for this practice that so many people have dedicated their lives to maintaining it so that we can just even taste it. So whether we're sitting for five minutes a day, one minute a day, 30 minutes, an hour, how do we imbue our life with that thread? How do we live an integrated life? As a question, never to be answered. How can I do it now? And now? And now? To me, taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is against the stream. None of us need to practice our habit energy. I've yet to meet someone who needs to practice more (laughs) their distracted habit energy. I'm open to that possibility. And it's so amazing that we spend so much of our time feeding that during our day. So how do we encourage each other to live by vow and root it deeply? I've been asking myself that question throughout the day. How am I rooting it deeply? feel so inspired by that. Because the moment I even say that to myself, it's like, wow, I'm back here. Hello. (laughs) There are subtle and really not subtle ways that we're not here. How do we wake up together and realize we need each other? Dogen says, there are thousands upon thousands of students who have practiced meditation and obtained the fruits. Do not doubt its possibilities. We spend so much time doubting. I'm not good at it. That's just more up here. He says, do not doubt the possibility of the simplicity of this method. So exciting. What would that be like to really take that on? Not doubting the possibility. He says, if you cannot find the truth right where you are, 
where else do you expect to find it? Tathagata. Things as they are. Let's take refuge together in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha.